Hello, good people. Welcome to The Chris Stefanik Show, the show that helps you find the joy that God made you for in the midst of everyday life. Don't miss us every week as we dive into real issues with real people and answer real questions. God bless you. I hope you're having a blessed Memorial Day with your family, and I hope you spend a moment remembering the people who laid down their lives so we can enjoy the freedom that we have today. We don't have a live show for you tonight, but we're bringing you one of our favorites from the archives, my interview with General Chilton, a real-life Catholic astronaut. Enjoy. Space, the final frontier. (laughs) Actually, the final frontier is the human heart. Uh, So I'm so excited today to be joined by a real-life Catholic astronaut to dive into the heart of this man uh, and and his his exploration of space, his life dreams, uh, but above all, God. Thanks for being with us. I am so honored to be joined by uh, General Kevin Chilton. Thank you so much for being with me. Chris, it's great to be here. It's seriously an honor. Uh, And I just just touched one of the 500 people in human history who's been in space. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa! More to follow. More to follow. (laughs) It might become uh, almost too common in the years ahead. Uh, General Chilton is a a four-star general and an astronaut, uh, a total underachiever. Must have really disappointed his parents and how he turned out, but I no, surprised them. That's for yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I think you surprised yourself. I'm going to guess. Yeah, um, sure. yeah let, let's talk about your your journey, your your journey in, in your career, your journey in faith. Did you always want to be an astronaut like most kids? Uh, actually, no. You um, did? No, I didn't. In fact, I remember my parents waking my sister and I up to watch. Alan Shepard go up in space, the first American to go in space. Wow. And we lived in California, and he launched yeah. at 6 in the morning in Florida. So it was a 3 o'clock get-up. And, you know, I wasn't real enamored about getting up that early in the morning and sitting on the sofa and watching this little black-and-white TV, yeah. and the launch was delayed. Wow. And, and my parents made us get up to watch the first three, and then they realized we weren't enjoying it. So I, it, it never crossed my mind that, I, that this would be something I could do. That's amazing. You know, at, at, at that age. And well, so, no, I, I, I didn't grow up wanting to be an astronaut. When I was about eight, I, I was convinced I would be the first monk astronaut. Neither of those things quite panned out for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> We're still waiting for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but it's not, life's not too bad. I'm enjoying getting to talk yeah, to you today. Yeah. Um, did you, did, did, did you, were you enamored with space in any way? Did you dream about UFOs and... Uh, yeah, no, you know, it was hard not to be plugged into the Apollo program. So, yeah, I, mean, I grew up okay, in the 60s, okay. so I was, I graduated from eighth grade in 68. So the next year, you know, man walked on the moon for the first time. Yeah, yeah. so you're thinking of so, this kind of So, thing. I mean, you, you, you couldn't ignore it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was exciting, for mm-hmm. sure. You kind of tracked what was going on. But uh, I... And I remember, you know, watching Neil Armstrong step on the moon live on live TV. Yeah. And so there were moments like that you never forget. But but again, I just never felt yeah. like this was something that I could do. So I wasn't interested in it. So so when did the when did the dream enter in? It was an evolution. It really was. So what I was interested in was becoming a pilot. OK. I wanted to fly. And so. Really. Yeah, I grew up. Uh, in the shadows of L.A. Airport. In okay. fact, my grammar school, visitation school, is if you if you take off from Los Angeles International Airport on the north runway and look out the right window, you'll see the bell tower. It's still there, wow. the church and, and the school. And at the departure end of the runway, if you look down, you'll see my high school, St. Bernard High School. And so, wow. you know, we used to joke that uh, we all learned how to read lips because every two minutes a jet would go by and the teacher would keep talking, you know, and you had to keep up in class. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I was just always fascinated 
by airplanes flying and whether it was laying at the beach at the end of the runway, you know, in high school and watching them go overhead or wow. whatever, I, I thought that was something I would really like to do. It, it really is uh, amazing. And by the way, my wife grew up in Venice Beach. Okay, so I was in Westchester just yeah, uh, so just it's, the road. Yeah, uh, it, it, so amazingly like, like, like you. I mean, like, that's not the kind of place where a lot of kids grow up and end up with very deep Catholic faith, you know, especially in Venice Beach. But it, uh, Yeah, but although when I, in, in the time period I was growing up in Los yeah. Angeles, there was, every parish had a Catholic school. Okay. I mean, it was the, we're yeah. the baby boomers, right? Yeah. And, you know, oh, yeah. my father was a World War II vet and... You know, we had four children in our family. I had three siblings, and we were, you know, we were, you know, that was below average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was so many kids, yeah. and and the schools were packed. My, I can remember first grade, there was one A and one B. Wow. And, you know, so two classes yeah. in first grade. And I think I have a, a Polaroid of my first grade class, and, of course, we're all sitting there at attention uh, in our uniforms. And I think there were between 50 and 60 students in that class. In wow. one, well, in one yeah, a, it's a different era, man. And, and one none. Yeah, wow. And we all learned to read. Well, I mean, uh, unbelievable. Right? You know, it was, it was a different time. But, it, yeah, I, I would say the Catholic community in that part of Los Angeles, anyway, yeah. was really vibrant at Praise the time. God. Yeah. Praise God. Praise uh, God. But, no, I, I, I actually love hearing how you, you did not dream of being an astronaut. You dreamed of being a pilot. Um, it, it, it is, it's mysterious how God leads us on these paths through life to, to end up where we are. Oh, yeah. You, you know, if people ask you, how do, how do I become an astronaut? The answer is probably, I don't know how the heck I became an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, what do you say when, someone's, when someone says, I want to be an astronaut? I'm sure little kids tell you that. Oh, well, yeah. You know, I, I explained to them that, you know, NASA has certain criteria they're looking for, mm-hmm. but it, it can change, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, one, one year they may value test pilots over engineers in the selection process and other time they may value doctors or engineers and so what i always emphasize to people is you know you, you need to do your homework and see yeah. what nasa requires from a physical and educational background yeah but at the end of the day you, you should find your what you're talented and what you're good at yeah and pursue that because you know the worst the worst thing that could happen to you is you know you, you do all the things that you think you're supposed to do to become an astronaut and you hate it and then you get to the point where you're qualified yeah. and something terrible like Challenger happens and NASA doesn't hire a class for three years. And, and now you look, you look in the rearview mirror and you go, well, that, yeah. was, that was terrible. Yeah. So better to make it a win-win uh, yeah. situation. And that's what I try to emphasize. You know, be passionate about something beyond the goal of becoming an astronaut because there's so much luck mm. involved in it mm. along the way. Be, do, do, do what you're loving and what God places before you in that next moment. Right. That next moment. Yeah. Uh, test pilot. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's kind of crazy, isn't it, it? it? Well, no. I mean, it's, it's not. It was crazy in the 1950s. Okay. I mean, that was when it was really dangerous. But it, it's... Um, it's much safer nowadays, but it's it's okay. a different kind of flying, and it's a it's where you get to take all the engine. I studied engineering in school, and to be a test pilot, you have to have an engineering or physics degree, okay. or math degree, and you get a chance to apply it because you you can be an English major or any other major, history yeah. major, and fly airplanes, but to be a test pilot, you know, you, you get to combine that engineering knowledge with your flying skills, and and that's what's that's it, what's it, fun. It's funny it's how, how yeah, it's funny how you say. Not that dangerous. I mean, you, you look like a really calm, composed guy, but you've done things that I would never, ever come near. Cause well, then, then that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a judge. stuff, man. <laughs> you got to question my judgment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. you're, you're, the, uh, you're the insurance salesman's nightmare. 
You know, oh. he's trying to trying to close a deal. And uh... funny you should say that. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you a story about yes. insurance? So yeah. I was. Uh, uh, I just I was still single. Kathy and I had not got married yet. We were we were dating though, and I had just moved to Houston, and uh, bought a house to join the class in nineteen the new astronaut class in nineteen eighty seven, and in those days, you know, pre internet and stuff, you would get as yeah. soon as your phone number was in the phone book, you'd start getting cold calls from salesmen. And I get a cold call one day from a young man, who you know he dives right into his life insurance pitch. <laughs> and, I, and I'm listening politely, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm about to propose to Kathy, and we're going to get married, we're going to start a family. I should get insurance. I should get insurance. Yeah. So when he finishes his pitch, which, you know, he takes one <laughs> breath and talks for two minutes, I, I said, you know, I actually would be, you know, interested in hearing about life insurance. And I could tell I'd made <laughs> his millennium. I'd made his millennium, <laughs> you know, when I said that. I can't imagine how many times he'd been hung up on. And, and he says, okay, and he goes through this long list, you know, you know, do you smoke? You know, do you, you know, how's your yeah, health? Yeah, da, da, yeah. Da. At the end of the list, he says, so what's your occupation? I said, well, I'm an astronaut. Dead silence <laughs> on the phone. He says, no, really? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I, actually, I'm going to start training to be one here shortly. I just <laughs> that, arrived. That poor guy. And he says, can I, can I call you back tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he calls me back the next day with sure. that same excited voice, you know, and he goes to this long pitch. And, and when he finishes, I said, let me see if I got this right. This is the max you'll insure me for is $50,000. And if I die in an airplane or a spaceship, you don't pay out. And he meekly says, yeah. 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 And I said, and by the way, it'll cost you $50,000 for yeah, us to yeah, give you that yeah. insurance. So, um, so yeah, there are some careers where it's a little yeah, difficult well, yeah. to get insurance. So as your career progressed, and you're just taking one step at a time, doing what you're passionate about that day, yeah. that next day, which is the greatest career advice, better than just follow your heart to some end that's a million miles away, right? Yeah. Um, you can do both, though. Yeah, you can, they, that's true. You can do both. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so long as you're doing what you're satisfied with now, then it doesn't fully matter if you hit yeah, that end, right? Uh, you gotta have a, I, I think it's important to have goals, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. But, but they can't be life or death goals. Yeah. That, you know, if you don't achieve them, you've got to be satisfied. Yeah, amen. Yeah. When, what, so at what point did you start to realize, whoa, I might actually become an astronaut. Well, it was... I mean, it, it, was there at some point it was like that really lit your fire? Yeah. No, I, well, I had a, a friend uh, who I'd served with, and we, I kind of fought. We'd, he actually taught me how to fly one of the airplanes I flew in the Air Force, and then he went to test pilot school, and then I went to test pilot school, and he went to another base, and we both got assigned to the same base, and then he got accepted in the astronaut program. And although I, I hadn't really been interested in it, I was kind of curious about it. Yeah. And I called him up, and I... You know, it was my last opportunity to apply age-wise and career-wise in the Air Force. And I called him up and I said, Brian, do you, you think I would, uh, I'd, I'd enjoy this? And he says, I think you would. So I applied. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. And, I, and again, I was in a win-win position. I loved the Air Force. I loved what I was doing. And, and so if I didn't get picked, I was going to be content. Okay. And um, fortunately, you know, and actually when I went down, I got selected to interview. How old were you at this time? Um, let's see. This would have been 1986. I was 32. Were you already a general? Uh, no, I was a major. You were a major, Air Force. okay. Uh, I think just newly selected major. Wow. And I, um, when I went to the interview, I was, I was as much interviewing them. This sounds awful, but I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And mm. the interview process lasted a week. And when I came back to my base, you know, now you have to wait to see if you get picked. I, I was so sold. I was wow. so I would have wow. been so disappointed had I not been chosen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because the, spending that week there really solidified wow. that that I, this is something I would love to do. 
Okay, so, yeah. so preparing for that, that first launch, mm -hmm. uh, what's going through your head the week, the, the, day, the, the night before as you're hanging out with your family and yeah. about to go into space the next day? Well, you don't get to hang out with your family. You and don't. That's, and, and that, if, I think if you ask any oh, astronaut, huh? yeah, they quarantine us in those days. I'm not sure what it is now. It's probably similar, a week before flight. Okay. And so you're, you're in Houston. Uh, you're, you're training. And a, and a week before launch, you actually go into a quarantine facility in Houston because we, all our simulators were there, and they wanted us to be you know, peaked up just before we yeah. went. And so those seven days before the scheduled launch date, uh, you had to say goodbye to your kids. Mm. Now, your, your, your spouse could get a physical, and, and they would fly your whole family to Florida, which was great, yeah. and put them up in a hotel, and your spouse could come see you for a couple occasions before launch where they, they had holes in our calendar. Wow. And, and that was, uh, if, if they were healthy, they had to get a physical yeah. to do that. And same with my parents, they're able to, but I couldn't see my children because, you know, they're little bug wow. carriers, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, for me personally, that was, uh, and I think a lot of people would share this sentiment, saying goodbye to your kids mm. the week before was hard. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, I get a little nervous going across the country sometimes, you know? Yeah. So I, it just, you know, you want to you wanna be there for them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that was, for me personally, that was my prayer. Um, I mean, literally, the night before launch, I would weep. You not, would weep, wow. Not cry. I would weep wow. in prayer. And my prayer was that I'd come back and continue to be a, a husband and a father to my mm. children. Because I thought that's what I wanted to be. So you, you knew you're risking everything. Well, well we all, yeah. we're all aware of that. But you didn't think about it. And, and for me, it was cathartic because I, after that, um, I was ready to go. Wow. I was ready to go. I never thought about it again. That's profound. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like you just kind of turn it all over to God there at wow. that point. And I think, you know, as I, I think I said in the video uh, that will maybe show yes, a little bit. Yeah. You, know, you know you're going someplace. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Let's, I want to roll that video. And by the way, if you, if you haven't seen the search, you have to see the search. And you've got to share the search with your friends. I know General Chilton because he was part of the search program. Episode 7. And uh, in, in, in Episode 7, shares about his, his first time leaving the planet. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll make sure to don't listen to the countdown. I know he gets triggered when he hears the words 10, 9. Yeah, no, don't do that to me, Chris. <laughs> let's do this. You're excited, you're terrified, reviewing the checklists that are Velcroed to the wall. There's an astronaut comes in and checks, make sure all your communications are right and everybody's comfortable, and then pats you on the head and says goodbye. And they close the hatch. You go, okay, it's just us now. The nearest human beings are three miles away. It's just us. All systems are go for launch at this time. And then they, you hear the final countdown from 10. Okay, now that's 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. When it's six seconds, the main engines on the space shuttle would ignite. Now, we had simulators at NASA. The simulators didn't shake anything like the real vehicle. I was stunned at the vibration in the cockpit. In fact, my head was kind of banging off the inside of my helmet, going back and forth, and gauges that I could just normally read easily in the simulator were now kind of blurred because my head was moving around so much. Those six seconds felt like a minute. And, and I kept thinking, we are shaking so hard. If we don't lift off, something's going to come off this vehicle. Something's going to break. 
when those engines lit off, you know, there's no doubt in your mind you're going someplace that day, and I'd hoped it was space. You know, I'd been to confession. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's in the hands of the Lord. And then the man says zero. Immediately crushed back in your seat by the force of three times the acceleration of gravity. You thought it was bad sitting on the pad. Now it's really, really shaking. You get this incredible appreciation for the power of the vehicle. After two minutes, the solid rocket motors separate. Slowly, though, as the fuel burns down at the same thrust, the acceleration builds back up. I remember watching the, the velocity increase, and it's just amazing how fast you're, you're accelerating. And then, boom. Main engine cutoff. Eight and a half minutes. And you come forward in the seat, you've, you've survived launch. Uh, Wow. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm the guy who watched Star Wars and Star Trek a zillion times growing up. Yeah. Uh, I'm starstruck looking at that and thinking, that guy did that. <laughs> that doesn't seem what real. You, it really doesn't seem no, real. Yeah, what do you when feel when it? you watch it? Uh, yeah, I just feel blessed. I feel so <laughs> fortunate I got to do that. But, you know, there's nothing really on earth that, you, you, you know, you have experiences in your life, and then you maybe you see something else happens and you can relate back to it. There's nothing on earth that really makes me think about that. Wow. There's no relationship. And so um, that's like, it's almost like it didn't happen. You know, it's almost like it was a dream, but, wow. it, but, but you know it did. You know, that, so. That's like heaven. I mean, when, when you think about certain concepts, mm-hmm. there's concepts like eternity that are scary to people because there's no frame of reference to right. really relate exactly. with what the heck that means. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not sitting around for a long, long time. It's like this is something utterly yeah. different. Uh, what? What? Um, I, I want to hear the rest of the story that you told in the search, but but before you get to that, what's it feel like the first time you go weightless? <laughs> what's going through your head? Well, it, it, two things. One, yeah. um, when when the engines quit, you're strapped in so tight. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, my first flight, um, and we had launched into darkness, and so I, you know, I look out the window and I don't see anything. And I'm strapped in so tight, I don't feel any difference. The only reason I know we're weightless is my checklist is floating next to me. <laughs> and that's, oh, a, that's a little different. But, but then, you know, finally, you know, I'm, and I, my first thought was, so what's the big deal? But then you unstrap and you come out. And, and I think for a pilot, you know, it's every pilot's yeah. dream is to actually fly unencumbered even by an airplane. Wow. So you're Superman all day when you're in that environment. You don't walk oh, yeah. anywhere inside the space shuttle or the space station now. You float. And you know, push off and go across the room. It's it's really a neat feeling. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is it kind but of different? It, I mean, it kind of unnerving too. Uh, was it? Yeah. I mean, you're used to for sleeping. For did, example, did it feel more like play than work <laughs> when you're oh, flo- oh, floating no, I mean, all day? It, uh, you 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 go back to do all the things your mom told yeah. you not to do. You know, don't play with your food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to play with your food in zero gravity. Right? <laughs> and, and and when we had time, uh, usually in the evening before bedtime, you know, uh, we, we'd play. We'd play like kids. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So tell us the story uh, that we showed in the search when you got up there and you're looking out the, wind, the windshield. Oh, yeah. Well, I was the only rookie on the flight. Okay. And so there was seven. That's comforting. Seven of, well, it was great because yeah. everyone else had flown before. They were experienced and just a great crew. 
And I'm the co-pilot, so I'm sitting in the right seat, and Dan Branestein's the commander in the left seat. And Dan's the chief of the astronaut office. I mean, he, mm. he's the boss, and I was so privileged to fly with him. And we're going through the, and when the engines quit, you have a series of checklists you're going through, because you have to yeah. change this rocket ship into a spaceship now, so you're reconfiguring software and things. And uh, people downstairs and behind us are getting in, out of their pressure suits, and so Dan and I are working together the checklist, and it, there comes a point in the checklist which says check for damage to the windscreen, because you're flying up through the atmosphere, you could hit a bird, there could be debris from the rockets when they blow Terrifying. off the side. So think of that. So I look up, and it looks like, on my windscreen, it looks like someone's taken a diamond and carved this perfect arc across the windscreen. Kind of like, a, you know, in the old car windows when they'd break, you'd, you'd get a crack across them, they wouldn't shatter. And I thought, oh my God, there's, there's three panes of glass, but it looked like the outer pane was cracked. And so, you know, the, our, our flight engineer, Rich Clifford's calling out the, the checklist, says, check, check forward windows for damage. And I say, I think my thermal pane is cracked. I've never seen Dan look over out up at his window faster. And then he looks over at me and he says, says put your checklist down, <laughs> sit back and enjoy your first orbital sunrise. Mm. And what I was seeing that looked like a crack was the limb of the earth being backlit by the sun. And, and so I mentioned we were on the dark side of the earth. And then that little, that very, that perfect arc that looked white slowly wow. turned red, white, and blue as the atmosphere, as the sun's rays came through the atmosphere, just a ribbon, a very thin ribbon. And, and then the sun bursts above the horizon. And unlike a sunrise on earth where it lights the sky, the sky, the background is space, and it's absolutely the blackest black you've ever seen. Wow. And in that blackest black is the brightest, whitest light you've ever seen, the sun. And it doesn't light up the space. I mean, it stays black, and it's blindingly white looking at you. Wow. And, it, and for me, you know, I was reflected on it. It reminded me of, you know, the transfiguration. Mm. You, what, you know, when they talk about how... Christ, Whiter you know. than any, anything you ever any right. Fuller could make the clothing. Right, wow. right. And then so we, we were over the Indian Ocean, I think, or the South Pacific. Uh, as the sun began to light the earth, this beautiful blue, you know, mm. of the ocean started to just kind of unfold towards you. Mm. And, you know, that made me think of Mary. Because I always associated the color blue oh, with Mary. Yeah. I don't know if she ever wore blue in real life, but we yeah. always see her we're in statues. And, you know, these, you know, people ask me, you know, did... Did spaceflight change your your beliefs or anything? I said, no, nah, not at all. Just just affirmed them. Yeah, just affirmed them. Wow, how beautiful. Yeah, it was did, cool. how, how did it change how you see the events of Earth? I mean, we get we get so yeah. locked into the daily in our own lives and then the news cycles. Yeah, did well, it did it impact that? Yeah, well, so there was a, um, and this wasn't an original idea. John Young, uh, great man. We've he's since passed away, but he was an Apollo astronaut, went to the moon twice, walked on the moon, flew the very first space wow. shuttle test mission. It, it, just an amazing guy. Uh, he kind of gave me the idea, but, but it also originated being a fighter pilot. You know, the old movies where, you know, the bad guys would attack oh, yeah. out of the sun, yeah. right? Well, yeah. that's true today. You have to worry about that. Mm. And what you would do to look behind you into the sun is you would close one eye, extend your thumb, and put it over the sun. Mm. And if you did that, you could look very close to the disk and maybe see an airplane attacking you. Wow. So with that in mind, and John had talked about doing this on his flight, we're coming up over the South Pacific uh, heading toward Los Angeles, my hometown. And everybody wants to take a picture of their hometown from space, and I, yeah. I knew when this was going to happen. I had an alarm set, cameras were prepositioned. 
And so the alarm went off. I went to the window. I got my camera out. You know, miracle of miracles. It was there was no smog in L.A. That day. it was gorgeous, <laughs> and you know, I, I banging away shooting all these pictures. And then I, then I, I just put the camera down to take it all in, and uh, closed one eye and stuck my thumb out and wow. covered up six million or eight million people wow. under my thumb. Wow. And it made me reflect on. Uh, I mean, God, you know, we believe He cares about each and every mm. one of us, and how awesome that is. Mm. And and it also. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, all those people under my thumb right now, every one of them's got some problem they're dealing with. Mm. And that's the way I always felt. You know, mm. you know, we all feel that way. We all, we all have rocks in our rucksack. Oh, yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to try to have a different perspective when I come back that, you know, worry about the big things, but, but not the little things so much. Wow. And I'd like to think I'd, I'd, I'm better at it, but probably I'm not. Yeah. But at least I, at least wow. I thought about it. And, wow. Uh, you wow. know, it, it was an interesting moment, a yeah. perspective, a new perspective. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, tell, me, tell me about your, your Holy Communion in space. I think you're probably yeah. the first extraordinary minister of Holy Communion in, in no, I'm space. No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> so well, I wasn't the original. A lot of people think I, I was because there was an article really written about it. But no, others had done it. And I actually got the idea from a, a good friend and colleague, David Lowe. Sadly, another uh, former astronaut has passed away, way mm. too young. Mm. And David and I were working together at the Cape, and he had already flown. And, you know, we're both Catholic, and, and he told me that he'd taken the Eucharist into space. And I thought, oh, man, that's, a, that's great. On my first flight, I'm going to do that. Mm. And so David gave me the idea. Mm. And uh, I was, you know, I was kind of a knucklehead, though. I, I waited till the very last moment to go ring my pastor's doorbell. It was the date. Day we were going into quarantine, yeah. so seven days before launch. Yeah, and you know, Father Tom at St. Bernadette's Parish, and I said, Father, I, you know, I'd really like to take the Eucharist into space with me. He goes, Oh, that's fantastic! Of course, you know, everybody <laughs> in that beautiful. area knows about NASA. And oh everything. yeah, yeah. And then he says, and then he pauses for a minute, and he says, You are a Eucharistic minister, aren't you? And I went, Well. No, Father, I'm not. We can make you one. And he said, oh. And I said, well, no, Father, don't feel bad. I, this is my fault for coming to you at the last minute. And uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll come see you before my next flight. And then he looks up at me and he says, paperwork to follow. Let's go. Wow. <laughs> and wow. he, he gave me a pick and I, and I took the Eucharist with me. And on, yeah. that, on my first flight, uh, Pierre Thuit as a crewmate, and he was also Catholic, and mm-hmm. we shared the Eucharist. Had a particularly difficult time in the flight where we were having troubles, not life-threatening troubles, but mission success troubles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and it was weighing heavily on Pierre. It was weighing mm-hmm. heavily on all of us. But Pierre, had, he had, he'd kind of been the point man on this particular part of the mission. And, and I remembered looking at him, and, and he knew I'd brought the Eucharist with me. And I said, you know, maybe this would be a good time to, to share the Eucharist. And he said, I think so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Praise God. It worked out. The Lord's there. I, I can't imagine yeah. the experience of, of being that close to God. It was, in, it, well, and the, the second flight was even, I, I thought, I mean, they were all special. I, yeah. I, I brought uh, the Lord with me uh, on all three flights. But the second flight was pretty, really special. There was three of us that were, my commander, I was, again, I was the co-pilot. My commander, Sid Gutierrez, and Tom Jones was on the flight. And we were on different ships. It was a 24-hour mission. So Sid and I were on the same shift, but Tom was on a different shift. And we'd overlap at handover time. You know, we were 12 hours on, 12 hours off. And it just so happens we caught ourselves uh, on the flight deck together during the handover. It was just Tom, who was floating between Sid and I, and we were sitting in our (laughs) respective seats. And and this was Easter time that we were on this flight. 
And I said, uh, man, this would be a good time to re- receive, receive the Lord. Uh, yeah, receive the Eucharist and the Lord. And said, yeah, okay. Well, again, we're on the dark side of the earth. And uh, it's very quiet. And um, I, we, I distribute the Eucharist and we, we say a prayer. And then, you know, I close my eyes and I put the Eucharist on my tongue. And at that instant, this incredible heat came wow. across my face. Wow. And, you know, if you look at a really bright light, you can, you can see the inside of your eyelids. Yeah. That happens. And I immediately opened my eyes. And what had happened is we had flown into sunrise again. Oh, And that was chill. the sun. And it happened, <laughs> it, it happened at the exact instant I put the Eucharist on my oh, tongue. Oh, praise God. And, and Sid and I and Tom, we all looked at each other and... All three of us started to tear up. I mean, oh, it was just so emotional. Incredible. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and crying in space is not particularly recommended yeah. because <laughs> the tears just they just stay on your eye. It's kind of like you're underwater. But it was it, that was that was really special. And oh, then, it's extraordinary. And then I had a chance to share the Eucharist with Ron Sega on my last flight. Another Catholic wow. man. So. Wow. Um, Oh, well, praise God. Thank you for sharing all this. I can't, we're going to do this again, and I can't oh, wait I'd to, love to ask yeah, you a whole lot to. more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had learned of a Russian cosmonaut who got into space, and he was an atheist. He said, I looked around, there was no God anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I, I often think that would be like Frodo getting to the top of Mount Doom and saying, there's no J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> it, no, yeah. God is not this little, uh, like, like Zeus flying around space. Right. Space is in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thanks for sharing how, how, how you, you found the Lord there and brought him there, too. Yeah, that was special. Yeah, thank, nice. thank you so much. What an honor to talk to you. Chris, great to be with you today. Praise God. Guys, we'll see you next time. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.